Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome listeners to a special podcast review of The Last of Us Part 2. Yes, we are reviewing a video game. We have done it before. We've actually reviewed the first game over on the YouTube channel. We reviewed another Naughty Dog game, Uncharted. But this time we decided to do it in podcast form and Alan and I decided to team up to talk about the game. So this is your co-host Corbin. I'm Alan. And I should note that The Last of Us is pretty near and dear to us. Yes. We uh, both really love the first game. Alan more so than I, I would say, because of the number of times you've played through it. Yeah, I don't know how many times I've exactly played through it. I think I've tried to calculate, you know, what the exact number was one time. I think it's probably around six. Partially because I first played it on PS3, then I got it on PS4. So I played through it again and got the Platinum on PS4. So, you know, I had to play through Grounded a couple of times. Um, and then... Um, you know, probably just messing around a couple of times as well. So all in all, probably around six or seven times I played through it. I think when ah, what it was, it's like PS and or PlayStation's like, you know, like yearly recap. They show you how many hours you played per game and what your top game was. Well, Last of Us was my top game. I think it was close to like 160 hours or something like that. Oh. So yeah, I have a lot of experience with the first game and I do very much enjoy it. Now, listeners, if there's any part of the review that you want to jump around to to hear about, those timestamps are in the description below. And also, if you are listening on iTunes, we definitely ask that you just go ahead and give us five stars. It just takes a minute and it actually really does help us out be noticed in the rankings. It really helps other listeners find this podcast as well. And if you're listening anywhere outside of that iTunes, we are on all major podcasting platforms right now so make sure to subscribe wherever you download podcasts and make sure to leave a review there too it does really help us out now i also got the platinum trophy that's right very very close to the release of part two wasn't it it was close my uh platinum journey (laughs) was much more elongated than yours um now the only reason i got the platinum was because alan challenged me to play the first game on grounded mode i did i said i I think my exact words were something close to this where if you want a real challenge you should definitely play grounded and you said oh (laughs) yeah and if you can't tell from the context of our conversation grounded mode if i'm not mistaken was added after the uh release of the initial game right yeah it was a dlc um it was a dlc difficulty on the ps3 version of course it's packed in with the uh ps4 version along with left behind but yes it was added in later after the fact i don't know how long later but it was dlc when the first game came out which is interesting because i don't know if i've ever heard of a difficulty being dlc in a video game before maybe that's just (laughs) my ignorance talking but yeah i initially had no 
uh, desire whatsoever to get the Platinum Trophy on that game because it involved grabbing a lot of collectibles. And of course, it involved completing the game on Grounded, which is incredibly difficult. And then if you wanted all trophies, you had to complete the game on Grounded Plus, which means you had to replay it on Grounded to right. get all of those trophies as well. Not to mention, this is what took me the longest, actually, was the online experience. You had to play, yeah. quote, 12 weeks worth on the Firefly side and then on the the bad guy side, whatever they're called, the hunters. or Yeah, hunters. Um, so I think in total, I don't know, it was like 156 matches mm-hmm. for both or just on one side. It was like a ton of multiplayer, but if you... Had your clan healthy, you could skip the next two matches and then rebuild your clan to healthy again as long as your clan was low. So if I would have known that up front, I would have been able to get through multiplayer a lot faster. It's not as fun that way, but I will say it's quite a bit of a grind to sink that many hours into multiplayer. So that's why I was kind of happy, actually, that when The Last of Us Part 2 released, it released without multiplayer, which means... Mm -hmm you didn't need to play multiplayer to get the platinum trophy. That's right. Yeah, I know that they had plans to release multiplayer in part two, but um, I think partially because of the scope of the game and partially because of the size of the game, um, they decided that it was just wasn't going to happen. I believe they're going to release it. I think there was a statement by Neil Druckmann that they're going to release it as like its own separate thing later on. Um, I'm pretty excited because... At least I'm a very big fan of the multiplayer. I think you, after getting the trophy for it, Corbin, you've started to grow on it a bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. The multi, I think that was the thing. The multiplayer trophies were also the things that held me back from, um, you know, actually finishing the game sooner and getting that platinum sooner is because I really did, just did not want to do those multiplayer trophies. And they're, <laughs> they're rough. They're hard to get. But yeah, luckily you and I were able to get that platinum um despite the multiplayer trophies that didn't actually kill us in the end because it's one of those things where if you lose all of your clan members like if you do bad in a few matches um or you don't fulfill the the task that set out that you know could take away 100 percent of your population and you're on week 12 um that really sucks luckily that didn't happen to either of us but you're right, right. i did get the platinum trophy um, like a week, I think, before part two came out. Yeah, it was kind of pretty close. I mean, it was too bad, though, because you and I were we were playing together to on multiplayer so I could get the platinum. You had already gotten it, but I wanted to get the platinum. That was at the end of 2019. Right. That's and, right. And then somehow we like just didn't get on multiplayer together for whatever reason for mm-hmm. all those months. And we never have since the end of last year. Which we definitely need to because now that we don't have to worry about either one of us keeping our clan up, we can just do whatever we want now. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) We don't have that added stress. That's true. But nevertheless, we both did go through that Platinum experience. So I would definitely say we're fans of the first game and we've spent tons of time on it. And Mm -hmm. for those of you that don't know, we've already talked about it enough, but Platinum is the highest achievable trophy on PlayStation. It's... The trophy you get once you've gotten all other trophies and the trophy level starts at bronze, goes up to silver, gold, and then ultimately you get the platinum and it's all worth points and ties into your uh, gamer score and whatnot. But definitely a difficult platinum experience. And 
that's why I was really surprised to see um, The Last of Us Part 2's trophy guide is fairly basic and straightforward. It's basically complete the story, upgrade your weapons, find all collectibles, find all workbenches, saves, etc. It's just it's just really straightforward. Yeah, it's very straightforward. I was looking at it the other day. It's um yeah, like you mentioned, it's kind of just like, you know, do everything that's in the main storyline, you know, upgrade everything, um get all the upgrade all your supplement trees, um you know, pick up all the artifacts. It's kind of just like the basic stuff in terms of trophies. Um, for a game like this. And I think you said that you don't have to beat it on the hardest difficulty to get that, to get a trophy. You just beat the game. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting. It's an interesting choice because as you said, they seem to be, you know, relatively difficult to get a platinum on, uh, on these Naughty Dog games. But, and when it comes to Last of Us 2, there isn't uh, too much of a challenge outside of, you know, making sure that you explore a lot or, you know, look up a strategy guide to do it. Um, there is an option to turn on collectible finder under the accessibility settings, I believe, where if you go into listen, listen mode, you can, I think, hit O um, and then it'll show you like where you can find collectibles and stuff. So that also helps out quite a bit. <laughs> I've been playing around with that in, I guess, a, kind of a second playthrough of the game. I've been kind of going on and off on it, but yeah, this this one seems to be really attainable for platinum trophy than at least from what I've seen the last few games. Yeah. And I would especially say if you do explore the world pretty well, which I just did because I wanted to, because I was enjoying going around through everything, you know, I would say you would, you'll get most everything on your first run through. Um, now there's still, I probably got, I would say 70% of everything, if not more. Um, so there's still kind of about 30% left, but for a first run through, it's really not bad. So I don't have a ton left to do on my second playthrough. Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat. There's not a whole lot left that I have to find. I think now it's just making sure that I really look over every corner of the game um, to get all the cards or whatever. So, yeah, I think you and I are somewhat in the same boat with how much we have left to do before we get the platinum but as we mentioned shouldn't really be that hard no no and we are definitely going to get the platinum <laughs> yeah now it is interesting that it was kind of difficult to get our hands on this game this year because it was delayed multiple times that's right yeah, originally it was supposed to come out at the end of February and I was so pumped for that it got pushed back to March, I think. Got pushed yeah, back a month, maybe. No, I think it was May. I think it was going to come out in February. They pushed it back to May. That's right. Yeah. And they pushed it back again. Yeah, and then it yeah. got delayed indefinitely mm -hmm. until until we did finally get our hands on it. I know you kind of had a bit of a mess trying to get it. I had it pre-ordered for my birthday, thinking it was going to come like a couple weeks after it. But that's right. <laughs> surprise! Yeah. No, it didn't happen. Nope. Yeah, and I, I know um, they've been working on this game pretty much ever since the they wrapped on the first one. Yeah, they they didn't really like go full head into like, development for it after the first one because, of course, Uncharted 4 came before that. But after right. Uncharted 4 was done, then they really dove deep into development. They had like story stuff, trying to figure out story things and logistics and whatnot um, after the first game was over for like, I guess pre-planning before development began. But once Uncharted 4 came out, then they, like, you know, 
went down and like really started working on Last of Us 2. Um, and the original release date, wasn't that supposed to be in... Did we ever get like an original release date before they gave us the February date? I don't know if they ever did. I think it was always just February until, of course, it was delayed after that. Yeah, it was always going to be February. I think there was rumors it, it may have come out at the end of 2019. Yeah, that's right. But okay. they did keep saying that they needed to push it back, maybe mm-hmm. to work on multiplayer, maybe to polish some things up. But that was kind of the whole reason is we were never getting a release date for the game is because they wanted it to just be the release date really close to when the game was coming out. Just um, just so it wasn't this kind of death stranding situation where we've been teased with this game for like five years and we have like no idea when it's coming out. Right. Um, right. And I think in some ways we did kind of feel like that when we did see the first gameplay footage. I was super excited to see it, but that was a couple of years ago. And once again, it's like, okay, when are we going to get to play it? This is going to be at least a year, likely two years out. Right. Right. And that's kind of the thing too, about Naughty Dog games is I think partially why everyone's so excited about it. And mostly because, uh, the last of us ended up being a smash hit, um, like a huge hit for, especially for Sony and for Naughty Dog. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and it also was like at the time, one of the best looking games, the, it was the best-looking game on the PS3, but also one of the best-looking games just kind of in general, um, just because of partially what they were able to do on the PS3. And so now, coming back to it and having The Last of Us 2 after Uncharted 4 came out and seeing some gameplay of that and how it was looking, very exciting to see, okay, well, what else does this game have to offer graphic-wise and also story-wise? Because Night Dog has always been, their philosophy has always been about pushing their consoles as far as they possibly can go um, to get the last every last ounce of energy out of it to to process the game that they want to make what the game that they want to make right so it was very exciting to see you know one of the last games being released on the console what is it going to be like because that's what the last of us one was is it was one of the last games on the ps3 and it looked amazing especially for the time and so it would people were very excited of course to see you know what was the last of us 2 going to hold now being on a duration after the ps3 version what is that one going to look like and we kind of got a little bit of gameplay yeah, a couple years before uh that actually did release but from what we did see i think i saw a brief glimpse of it i usually stepped away as much as i could from pretty much anything of the game um but from what i saw it did look very very good it was in development for seven years neil Druckmann mm-hmm. said which is no surprise for a game of this caliber Oh, yeah. Yeah. You, this is about getting close to the normal now, especially for big games like this being in development for, so, development for so long. Now, before we talk about the actual game, there's a couple things I did want to hit on, but they are spoilers. So I'm going to ha- go ahead and give you the spoiler cut off right here. So listeners, if you haven't completed The Last of Us Part 2 yet and you don't want the game spoiled for you, which I highly recommend you don't have this game spoiled for you, then go ahead and click pause right now. Go ahead. And I don't know, it's going to take you a very long time, depending on where you're at in the game. But nevertheless, click pause, finish the game and then come back and listen so you can hear our thoughts on the spoilers in the game. Now, these two things are uh, marketing and rumors slash leaks slash theories. Yes, they're one of the things that push them, push Night Dog to actually release it in. uh, What was it? It was July. No, June, whatever date, whatever date they they did finally schedule to release the game, 
part of the reason was because there were major spoilers. I actually think everything was pretty much leaked um, at some point during the summer after they had pushed it back for the last time. And they were like, fine, we'll release it um, just to get it out there, even though they were still trying to polish it up. Yeah, the the leaks were weird. I stayed away from all leaks, so I went into this game spoiler Same here. free. Thankfully, I would have been incredibly upset. But I did go back to look up all the leaks and see what they were. Yep, I did too. And they were half right. Um, some of them were kind of off. Some of them were completely false. We're not going to go through all of them. There's plenty of videos out there for that. Mm. But one of the major ones I thought was strange was... Um, and this apparently was one of their first ideas was to have Abby come into the camp and she would have like all kinds of side quests she could possibly do. I, by mm -hmm. camp, I mean Jackson. And then she would kill, she would kill Jesse, I think. And then Joel and Ellie would go after her and then, then Abby would kill Joel and then it would be just left to Ellie, I think. So okay. Joel's death would have been much later in the game. Um, gotcha. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Joel dies within like the first 30, 45 minutes, maybe hour actually. It was, it's about an hour and a half. It's in the, it's within the opening. The opening's somewhat long. I think it's about an hour, hour and a half, two hours ish of an opening. Well, yeah. And I had no idea I was going to have this major thing happen. So yeah. I quit my gameplay, my initial gameplay, um, right before, um, Ellie goes into the cabin. Okay. And then yeah. I picked back up. Ellie goes into the cabin and I'm like, dang, why did I cut off here? Like, this is a terrible place to yeah. finish off. <laughs> yeah. I know it was me and my cousin. I just picked up the game from, I think I ordered it from Best Buy and I was ready to go. And so he and I, well, mostly me, he, he wanted to see, he wanted to watch me play. I tried to get him to play it, but um he and I got up to, I think it was maybe day one in Seattle in one setting. We got, we got pretty far. Yeah. Um, and we got to that point where, you know, Abby kills Joel when we're like, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But nevertheless, with those rumors, they were off when that actually happened. Um, there was a leaked image of Joel's bloody bashed in head. Um. Mm -hmm. Also, one of the worst rumors was that Abby was actually a transgender male. That's why she was so buff. Yeah, that's a <laughs> strange, that's a strange rumor because, and also this one still somewhat persists from what I understand, because Neil Druckmann and those in Night Dog, especially the actress who played Abby, uh, I forget her name at the time, they've gotten a lot of backlash, not just because of that, because of many things, but they kept saying that, uh, you know, they kept saying that Abby's a transgender and I don't think there really was ever a moment in the game where they actually, you know, said that she was. No. Nope. Um, so I always just took it as, and it kind of works as her character later on when you find out more about her. She just, you know, buffed herself up. Not necessarily the fact that she's a transgender. No. Nope. It's a, if people, I think at that point are just kind of, you know, what do you call it? Uh, they're projecting something onto a game that doesn't actually exist. Yeah, and I don't know. I think a lot of the rumors created uh, divisiveness. Of course, everything in our society nowadays has to be ultra divisive and has to be very polarized. So nevertheless, I think and a lot of people hadn't played it. 
Uh, it's kind of shocking because the critical meta score for The Last of Us Part Two is a 94 out of 100. Mm. Clearly, critically acclaimed and loved big time. The user score on Metascore, which I don't really believe um, to be fully accurate, is a 5.6 out of 10. Mm. Mm. So I know that there, yeah, as you mentioned, there is a lot of divisiveness with this game. Mostly, I would say, due to the fact of what leaks came out that, for the most part, gave a lot away, if not everything, or at least all of the surprises away, mostly being that Joel dies and then Abby becomes the main focus for a good chunk of the game. Um, that I know were two big, two of the biggest uh, issues that people had with it before the game even came out, um, which is, um, it, it's weird to say, uh, it's not, I would say it's not good because, you know, you're judging something before you've actually played it, right? And so that was, I know, a lot of, a good, a big point of, controversy and contention for players before the game actually came out that the game was not what they were expecting it to be. And because they didn't have their hands on it to, you know, for the game to actually lead them through the story and get them to a point where uh, when they get to Abby's, you know, portion, it was actually a bit more explained. Um, they judged it beforehand, which is not good. <laughs> it's like you're judging a book by its cover at that point. Except you also know some of the like plot points, but haven't read the book itself. Exactly. Yeah. And I would say a more accurate, probably indicator as of right now, score for the game. Um, IMDb has it at 8.1 for a user rating. Yeah, that, that seems a little bit more accurate. I know people still have, you know, issues with it, even though they have played it, um, which do feel a bit more justified. But that does seem more accurate because I've heard good... I've heard very good things out of the game, even though, even if people who have reviewed it said that they don't really like how, you know, where the story goes or whatever. And I think I'm thinking that score is going to go up over time. This is so far the lowest of the more recent Naughty Dog games. It's the lowest rated Naughty Dog game. All the Uncharted, all the Uncharted games, see if the first one are in the nines. Um, just for reference, the first Last of Us has a crazy high 9.7. Yeah. Um, and even, uh, left behind has a pretty high score of just a straight nine. Right. Yeah. So nine games are usually very critically acclaimed and typically audiences, especially those who are into narrative based games, very much enjoy them. Um, I've noticed this since the beginning, you know, seeing all their games, like I've heard great things about uncharted. I just hadn't played it at the time I have now. Um, so they, they've always gotten very high scores. And so Last of Us 2 being, you know, a very polarizing game just to start off with. Um, surprising that uh, the, not somewhat surprising, but also not surprising that the scores for it are rather low. But that again is because of the, the mostly the leaks that came out and people were like, wait, the story goes this way? Mm. And deciding that they don't like it because of that. And I, I knew that there was a lot of negativity kind of fomenting behind, behind it. I did not let mm -hmm. that affect me whatsoever going into the game. I yeah, just, I, I went in expecting Naughty Dog to not make a bad game. <laughs> yeah. I had heard that there were, I, this is what I heard. I heard that there was something in the game that people didn't like, right? That was about, but all that I had heard, I didn't know what was wrong with it. I just knew that there was something about the game because of the leaks um, that people were not very happy about. 
And at first I was thinking maybe it was Joel. And, you know, Joel does kind of die, you know, really early on in the game. But then once you get about eh, halfway through and you play as Abby, then I'm like, oh, okay. So I, I think I understand now, you know, why people were not very happy about it. But that was about all that I had heard, um, spoiler wise. Other than that, I didn't know what was in the game. I didn't know what to expect going into it outside of that there's something here that people were just not happy about. Now, as for the marketing, the marketing is pretty deceptive on Joel's actual role in the game. Um, some of the first yeah. scenes we had was um, Ellie turning around. Uh, there's a hand on her shoulder. She's been crawling through the neighborhood and she turns around and she's like, what are you doing here? And it's Joel, um, older Joel saying like, you didn't think I'd let you do this alone. Right. And then we also see um joel during they're actually flashbacks but they put in the new character models over the flashback uh, uh younger character models mm -hmm. um to make it look like all of this stuff is occurring in the future when in fact it occurs in the past and then of course ellie going through seattle they turned off um dina's character so dina is actually with you in um a, that, at least that day one of seattle um, but she's not on the back cover. She's not in any of the footage um, as far as the Seattle scenes go. So uh, when Ellie turns around, I was expecting it to be because I'd seen the footage. So I'm like, are they going to like have Joel's like ghost? Is she going to be seeing things? I thought yeah. she would just be like seeing things. Um, no, it's actually um, Jesse who That's comes right. to help. Yeah. So I was actually that was a twist. I was surprised. Yeah, I don't know if I ever saw that tree. No, I did. I think I did see that trailer. I think I maybe had forgotten about it. But um, either way, yeah, it. there was, I know this is also another point of people who are not very happy about it. There <laughs> was some deceptive marketing, um, which, okay, I understand why people are mad about it, but this is also not exactly a new thing either. Um, Marvel did this to a certain degree with their movies. I think at one point it was um, Avengers 2. They put in Hulk in a scene where he wasn't actually in. It was um, Avengers. Maybe it was that was, game. A, that was Infinity War. Yeah. Infinity War. Okay. That's, that's what I'm right. thinking of. Yeah. So, and then I'm sure other movies have done this too, um, where their trailers are not exactly accurate. Now, this is a bit of a different story because. Um, People are very attached to the character of Joel and Ellie. And so seeing them going on another adventure again, they're expecting that to be this, the case, um, which is not the case. So it's kind of a give and take situation. They don't really want to give away anything, you know, saying that, oh, well, you're going on an adventure with a different person um, this time around, someone we haven't met before. And so I kind of see the rationale putting Joel in it. I see the good and bad of it, um, but at the same time, it is still somewhat deceptive in terms of marketing, but at the same time, also nothing new too. All right. So one of the first things that stood out to me was I started playing the actual game. I had it in my hands. I was playing it. I was, I am blown away by the graphics in this game mm -hmm. and the gameplay mechanics. And I tell you, once you play this game, all other games are going to pale in comparison. At least, at least that's my opinion. <laughs> Yeah, no, the game looks, again, it's nothing new to Night Dog. They always seem to up the bar when it comes to make uh, how their games look graphically. Uh, the game looks incredible. It looks absolutely amazing. It is one of the best looking games, if not of all time, at least on the PS4. 
Um, again, Naughty Dog is up the bar when it comes to uh, graphics and fidelity on their games. This is nothing new, but at the same time, I can't yet, I can't not, you know, compliment them for how good their game looks. In terms of controls, um, it's it feels really good to play, but I feel like the first game has a little bit tighter controls because I feel like I'm not having to wait around for the animation animation to finish before I can actually complete an action. I found that if I move too fast with the controls, then I was I was lagging behind because of the animations I had needed to finish. There is one uh, well, so I guess I should preface this: you can remap the entire controller to basically whatever you want, which I thought That's was true. awesome. That's that is very true. You can pretty much you have full customizability on what the controls are in the game, which is very nice. There is an option. I used it once on accident and then I forgot about it for the rest of the game. I'm sure it would come in handy. There is a quick swap yeah. to quickly swap the controls so you don't have to use the D-pad to scrounge around for it in your bag, like Alan was saying. It sounds like neither of us used it, though, but you can no, supposedly yeah. quickly swap. Uh, I, I, I never used it, though. Yeah, I never used it either. I saw it was there. I tried using it once or twice, but I ended up just using the D-pad instead. I found that just because I so it kind of depends on the situation as to what, what weapon I want to use. Right. So I never really found, I guess, a good time to ever actually use it. I think one of the things I loved about the gameplay mechanics was being able to uh, I felt like everything was fairly intuitive when I was going through the environment. If I wanted to go prone, I could go prone. If I needed to crawl under something, I could mm. do that. Um, I could break glass to get into a building quickly. I could crawl through a tight space. I could easily distract people. And just um, jumping felt really good in this game. So, uh, and this yeah. is this is me coming off of Uncharted 4. And I really loved the graphics and mechanics in Uncharted 4, but I feel like Naughty Dog has perfected that even more. Yeah, absolutely. This is going above and beyond what they've done before in terms of graphics. And they also give you a lot more freedom this time. Like you were just saying, you have these huge stages at times, especially when you first get to Seattle, you're good. You're greedy with this giant stage um, where you can, you don't really necessarily have to completely finish what the story is laid out for. You can go to other places around that, like, that central area and get more collectibles and stuff before you head on to the next part in the story. Cause I know that this was originally planned to be an open world game. Um, I think because of the logistics, they decided that they were just not, they were, weren't able to do it, but there are elements still here of that. Somewhat of the same with like the Madagascar sequence in Uncharted 4, where it's just a huge open area that you, where you can go and do pretty much anything you want. Um, of course, within the confines of the area, but it gives this illusion of this semi-open world here in, it's at least at moments, like this is one of the big moments where I felt like, okay, this is somewhat of an open world kind of situation in the game. And you can kind of see those remnants of uh, the open world ideas that were originally going to be the game of, of Last of Us 2. I would love to see an open world game of The Last of Us. I would want to see what that's all about um, and how Naughty Dog would do that. I think Naughty Dog, just kind of in general for doing an open world game, would be really good at doing something like that. Um, I'm curious to see if they'll do that in the future. I'm sure that they will, because they've kind of played around with it here on Charter 4 and here on Last of Us 2. One of the things I found to be more surprising is, but I actually appreciated it more, I think, is the infected in some ways take a backseat to more of the human interactions, because this is mm -hmm. mostly a game about humanity, how it is treating itself, how it treats other people. 
instead yeah. of just the game. The first game you dealt a bunch with infected. And when you ever dealt with humans, it was pretty short and quick and didn't mean very much at all. But it does seem like uh, mostly with Ellie's uh, side of the story, particularly in the beginning, you do kind of get back into fighting off the infected. Um, but then definitely with Abby, it's more so about the human interactions, which I found to be much more meaningful and gripping than the first game. Yeah, they you're right. They the affected do take more of a backseat in the story. It seems like it's more centered around human characters than human characters fighting off infected, um, which is interesting. It's an interesting choice. Um, I, I think I do like it more than I don't, mostly because um, I like the fact that, you know, the infected at this point are more are becoming more of an obstacle than they are an actual threat. Right. Humans are beginning to find a way to uh, fight back more, which they've noted most partly with Jackson and partly with the WLF, you know, being in groups, uh, you find that it's much easier to fight off infected um, and and whatnot. So that is an, it's an, it's an interesting choice to take a, to have them take a backseat. They're becoming more of an obstacle than they are an actual threat because in the first game, um, you kind of had the both best of both worlds where you, in every, every, pretty much every corner you walk around, there could be another danger. Same with this game, but at the same time, it feels like there are more human characters to fight now than there were infected in the last game. Um, yeah, that, I guess that's my opinion on that. The human character AI is much stronger yeah. Um, they all have names, which is really interesting. Once you grab one or shoot one or do anything of that kind, mm -hmm. their reactions are incredibly realistic, which is pretty, uh, pretty kind of gut wrenching if you're not really okay with that kind of stuff, playing that in a game um, when you're fighting mm -hmm. off people. It's like, yeah, this is probably what it would be like if I fought somebody and threw a tomahawk <laughs> at them. <laughs> yeah. This game is, can, is more so more gruesome than the last game. Uh, they really upped some of the violence in this game. Um, it's partially when you do a sneak attack and you slit the throat, um, or when you, if you have um, like a melee weapon, they can get kind of kind of bloody there. So yeah, this game is very much well, a lot more violent than the first game in a lot of ways. Um, I I would say in general, this one is the more violent game out of the two. Oh, absolutely. And it helps yeah. because of better graphics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, when you do a stealth kill, uh, pan the camera around, your facial reactions and whatnot are so real. So the facial mm -hmm. reactions and uh, facial animations are just incredible. Oh, in yeah, this absolutely. This game has amazing animations just all the way around. Um, it, it's kind of funny because in the first game, all of the facial animations were all hand done. Uh, which is Ooh. crazy, I think, because they, for being hand done, they look very, very good and very <laughs> yeah. convincing. Not the same around this time. They actually had like facial um, recognition, or they had facial cameras to capture that instead of doing it all with all on hand. Um, so yeah, they do look amazing. Again, topping, I would say this is probably one of the best in terms of facial animations. This is definitely the best looking um, game because some of these faces, you know, you always have that uncanny valley where you can kind of tell that you know they're video game characters. You know, mm -hmm. and they're giving video game reactions to things. <laughs> but there are times where it's like, that looks extremely convincing. Yeah. You know, it looks, it really looks like a human face giving that reaction. And it's not like, a, like an actual video game character. But some of the more memorable moments in the game for me are when characters just straight up die out of the blue. Um, mm -hmm. You're just talking to a character one moment and then the next moment they're shot through the face and you just can't believe it. 
that always j- made my jaw drop. Um, I'm thinking of like when Ellie and Jesse run out of the theater and Abby shoots Jesse straight in the face and yep. he's dead. He's dead. And the game sets this precedent when Joel gets a shotgun in the leg. Yeah. Oh, uh, my and jaw I, dropped. I re- I replayed that sequence recently, and yeah, his leg is almost completely just gone <laughs> well, at, at once he shoots him. She shoots him with like three foot of distance. It's really bad. Mm. I'm yeah, surprised. It's, it's pretty much point blank at that point. You know, I'm surprised nobody got any um any shrapnel from the scattering of that shotgun because she shoots it inside so close. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Anyways, um, a couple of my favorite sequences come towards the end of the game, and they have to do with Abby. Um, chasing the sniper, um, was a really fun sequence and really intense. And I, I was pulling out my fiery shotgun shells. Like I'm going to get this guy so good. Mm -hmm. It's Tommy. Yeah. Yeah. You're chasing Tommy. And I know (laughs) that's, I know that that's a very well, uh, a a very well like sequence just kind of in general from a lot of people. Uh, cause you're, it's, it's a very annoying sequence in a lot of ways because the sniper, if you so much of just peek your head out, you're dead. Right. And so of course it takes you forever just to get up to him. When you do, wait a minute, it's, it's Tommy. And you're getting just so angry about, you know, getting up there and finding out who the sniper really is. Come to find out it's Tommy who also kills off Manny in that same sequence. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a very polarizing game. It's, it's interesting to see these two parties who it's kind of, you know, it's, it's a snowball effect is what it is. Uh, it's interesting to see these two parties fight after each, fight, fight each other and kill off each member of like the main party, except for the main two, to a point where it gets so out of control that uh, literally Ellie, you know, loses everything. Kind of the same with Abby too. She, once you, once you find out at the very end of the game, she doesn't have much left to her. She, she's left her group and, or they kicked her out. And um, she doesn't really have much where else to go. So it's interesting to see that this sequence in particular, I think really kind of uh, not, not necessarily is the main reason for me saying this, but is a good, I guess, lead into it. You got to get to see, you know, how ruthless both of these groups can be to each other. Yeah. And especially once you do go to Haven, you get to finally see where the Seraphites live. I loved yep. that scene of, well, anytime I was um, kind of on the water headed out and when you, Ellie's heading out to the pier in the storm was incredible. And then you hear about Abby going to the island mm-hmm. and then uh, you do get to go to that island. And then when Haven burns was just a incredible Indiana Jones worthy big kind of action scene where you're just going through and trying to survive. Um, also the fight with the Rat King, which I come to find out was the giant amorphous uh, blobby uh, infected in the basement of the hospital. That's the rat King. When you fight the rat King, uh, when you fight Ellie, and then when you finally fight on that dark, cold, misty shoreline, when Mm -hmm. Abby's just emaciated and Ellie has truly become the villain. Um, so many memorable moments in the game for me. Okay. Let me ask, let me ask this question. Let me ask this question. Um, what did you think when the game swapped it out to Abby? Did you think you were going to be playing with her for the next three days? Or did you think that maybe it's just like a like a condensed sequence? Um, or did you think that this was going to be the rest of the game? What did you, what were your thoughts when you when the game just did a hard cut? It went back three days and you were playing as Abby. I'm very curious to know. I was really shocked. I was like, wait, wait, wait. So I'm going to play through these three days, but from the perspective of Abby, I'm like, okay, I guess I'll go along with it. Mm-hmm. 
um, because we had played through those three days with Ellie with flashbacks and technically the Naughty Dog is doing the same thing they did from part one. Part one, you begin the game as Sarah and then you play as Joel and then you play as Ellie. This one, you start as Joel, play as Ellie and then as Abby and then you kind of go back to Ellie and that's how you finish the game. Yeah. 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 So I was kind of surprised. I don't know. How did you feel about it? I was uh, confused at first because partially my confusion was because when you go back to Abby, you know, at first I'm thinking, okay, maybe it's just like a condensed sequence is going to kind of recap what she was doing for these three days. Um, no, they are pretty much the same length as the first three days when you were playing as Ellie, but now you're playing, of course, as Abby. Um, so I was like, all right, this is an interesting choice because all the progress you had made up to this point you're, is completely reset, right? Now, the first game did do this, yes, but it also wasn't for this long of a period of time, mm -hmm. right? You you were only playing about a, a section of the game as Ellie, whereas this time you're playing a, a, almost half the game as Abby, right? So I was thinking, I was like, eh, all right, I'm curious to see where this is going to go, but... I'm not too happy about the fact that the game just essentially completely resets you from the beginning. Like all the progress you had made is completely halted at that point. Um, and I had to wait until you finish with Abby's section to go back to Ellie's section. That part I wasn't too happy about and when I got to that point. You know you're not going to get back to Ellie for probably another 10 hours. Right. Maybe. It was when I started picking up pills and I saw that all the, all the yeah. trees are there. I was yep. like, uh-oh. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I okay. I so I'm going to be playing. I'm essentially playing. You're here to stay. Um, yeah, I'm playing. You know, all the progress that I made with Ellie, I have to redo that with with Abby again. All right. It got to a point where I was because I at first was like, all right, that's interesting way of going about in terms of game design. And then the more I play as Abby, I wasn't getting like really into her character and into her story. So it's just like, can we just move on, please? Can we just move on? Because when we got to the Rat King, I was like, uh, I don't really want to fight the Rat King. Oh, right. I thought I didn't find that sequence to be very engaging because. Oh. Yeah. I think you and I have very different thoughts on that. I thought it was fun. Really? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was fun fighting the Rat King and going through that giant uh, blown out building. Okay. I guess I'm going to say something controversial. Okay. I found Abby's story to be more interesting than Ellie's story in this game. Really? Yes. Oh, that's interesting. I actually, I actually loved Abby's story. At first, I hated Abby, and then mm -hmm. I realized, wait a minute, these are basically two people just doing the same thing to each other. And the whole game deals with the fallout of Joel shooting. Um, you come to find out you shoot Abby's dad which I thought yeah. was kind of a brilliant thing to capitalize on and kind of the fallout of the fireflies because it is a great mystery in the beginning. Who the heck are these people? Why do they want to murder Joel so brutally? What did he do? You know, you killed a bunch of people in the past, but I mean, these were just kind of faces in the crowd, but eventually um, coming to find that out was incredible and going through her flashbacks. I loved Abby and Owen's connection. Mm -hmm. And um, I felt something once Abby finds Owen and Mel dead at first. I'm like, gosh, this is horrible. She shoots this pregnant lady, but they're all kind of psycho and evil. We'll come to find out this game does an incredible job showing that everything is nuanced and everybody has their own perspective. Yeah, yeah. That's something that the game really rides heavily is, you know, you, you go into the game and Abby kills Joel. So you automatically are just against Abby, right? 
more as you play through the game and then especially when you play through as Abby, um, you kind of realize that it's not really Abby who's maybe the worst one here. It's kind of both of them. They really try to ride that great area. They really tried to ride, ride that gray area between um, who's bad and who's good in the story. And it comes a, comes to a point where it even kind of gives the Fireflies more of a reason uh, or more of a justification and saying that, oh, they're not that bad because when you're, when there is a conversation between Abby's father and Marlene, it's a very short conversation. You realize that Marlene is not one to go through with this either. So what it does is it kind of rides that gray area of, you know, who's really bad, who's really good in the story, uh, which I find to be rather interesting. The, the problem I think I have is I think that they ride that so much that uh, it's like there's everyone's in the same playing field. You know, there really isn't a good or a bad. I think they ride it just a bit too much, but I think it's interesting, you know, that they're writing that to a point where there really, when you finally end the game, there really isn't a good character or a bad character. It's just these characters who are trying to go down the track of just of some kind of justice, right? Whereas literally they know that their view of justice and their way of going about that is going to severely hurt themselves and other people around them. I would say that in the end of the game, I can't can't root for Ellie and I can't even feel good as playing with her, especially when she's just going to murder Abby because of how much hate she has in her heart. There's a couple yeah. times I let off square. I, I just let Abby kill me as Ellie um, because I just didn't want to go on, especially when those two fight. And especially when they make you play as Abby chasing Ellie through the theater and make you brutally fight her. I'm like, no, are they going to do this to me? Yeah. I'm like, no, they, they can't do this, but they did. So I think this game does an incredible job playing with our emotions. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think what's interesting, too, is it likes to make the player feel very uncomfortable, right? Um, I think it does this on purpose. I think this is most evident when you're fighting, at, you're fighting Ellie as Abby, right? You've been playing as Ellie from the first game and then, you know, for so long into this next game, um, at least in my perspective, I did not want to fight at Ellie at all. But I also wanted to know where this is the story going to go at the same time. So I was being kind of pulled in two directions where I was like, I don't really want to fight Abby because I don't want to kill her. Right. But at the same time, you know, where else is this story going to go? Because I know that there's more after this deck. This can't be the ending, right? And so it was that, it was partially that, you know, what is, what's next for the story? That was what kept me going, even though I really just did not want to fight at, fight Ellie. I, I, I kept going just to see what was going to happen next. And it's kind of the same with the ending. You know, I didn't really want to kill Abby once I got to that point, even though I wasn't as engaged with her story. There is something there after playing for her for 10 hours I felt something, some kind of connection to her character that even though I did not want to kill her, especially at this moment when she's, you know, completely incapacitated and Ellie could, and she's on the same playing field as Ellie, if not Ellie's over top of her. Um, I just did not want to do it. But at the same time, I wanted to see if Naya Dog would go, would go that far and Ellie would actually f kill Abby, which of course she doesn't. She ends up letting off and lets her go. It, I was curious to see where Naya Dog was going to go but I was so uncomfortable in some of these sequences actually getting to that point. And I think what a lot of people would probably be surprised about is Abby gets the bigger sequences. She gets more human interaction with other people. She gets to go through the big blockbuster moments that are mm -hmm. very engaging. 
Whereas Ellie goes through Seattle for three days and it's mostly just kind of trying to get through there. You've got this really big hunt to go through and you're just killing people. I didn't find that to be um, nearly as engaging, but I found mostly all of um, Abby's sequences to be very engaging. And I really loved the relationship between her and Owen and then Owen gets with Mel and there's kind of this love triangle going on and just whatnot. Plus, she's just kind of an interesting character. I like her character design. She has this black tank top. You could see her really muscly arms and her braid. Mm -hmm. So I was shocked that they made made us play as Abby so much and they made me care about her so much, even though she murdered Joel. But hey, Joel murdered her dad. So it's all everybody trying to <laughs> get revenge on each other. Right. It's interesting, too, because you get you do get to see Ellie as at the beginning of the game. You know, she's got a really she has a new relationship with the, with somebody. She has friends. But then once they as you move throughout the game and continue the story, those start those people, people start to fall away and it gets to the ending, like the very, very ending where uh, she, even uh, even after this whole thing is supposedly done with Dina is like, um, if you go and if you go, if you go to uh find Abby again, I'm, I'm going to leave. Right. And Ellie says, I have to do this. And she, she goes. And when she comes back after losing her own fingers, Dina's gone. And it's interesting because in the first game, we know that her, one of her biggest fears is ending up alone. Right. Well, because of her, um, because of how much she's been driving and wanting to get justice for what happened to Joel, uh, it's led her down a path where now she is alone. There really isn't anybody else uh, there isn't really anybody there for her when she comes back, um, which I found to be very interesting. Um, and I, I liked a lot because you do get to see how how destructive her how destructive her actions were to not just people around her, but mostly to just herself. Whereas at the end, you know, yeah, that song that Joel taught her and she can't really complete she can't really complete it because, you know, she is missing two of her fingers. And at the same time, you know, the people that she's loved are now gone right it's an interesting way of showing you know how destructive um something doing something like this can be to a person yeah this game is really about the desecration of humanity through revenge mm -hmm. and it's kind of about this kind of like false love of the first game was about a parent's love for a child and now the these children love their parents and what they're willing to do but you kind of come to find out these parents wouldn't have wanted their kids to go through this. And we right. get to see the repercussions of how all of their friends and family die through it as well in really tragic ways that could have been avoided if revenge hadn't been taken up. So you are left with that at the end of the game is it is this cautionary tale of this is what happens when you pursue this dark path. But at right. the same time, there is this note of forgiveness and it comes through that final interaction of Ellie and Joel, which is really beautiful um, because you think that um, the last thing they ever say to each other is at, uh, Ellie storming off and telling him off at the dance. Mm -hmm. Come to find out she visits him sitting there on his porch playing the guitar. And he says, if the Lord gave me another chance to do what I did, I would do it again, basically because right. I love you and I'm not going to let you die in that way. And this is also uh, Ellie's crisis of meaning is thinking, you know, what if I'm the savior of humanity and that was robbed from me? So instead of saving humanity, I'm just going to burn it all down, basically. Right. And Joel never would have wanted that. Neil Druckmann said that Joel never hunted down Sarah's killer. He didn't do mm -hmm. it. 
So these characters really shouldn't be doing this either, but it makes for a really fascinating story, I would say. Yeah, I, I would say despite my my criticisms of it, I do find this story to be really interesting, mostly in concept, because I, I'm not too big of a fan of, you know, just the game completely doing a hard reset halfway through and having me play through it again. And I did not, we also not finding Abby's section to be as interesting as Ellie's, at least my own opinion. But I do like how the story in concept works, where you play as the character first off, the main character first off, and then hard reset, you play as the villain now, and you kind of get both sides of the story. Not, I don't think I've ever seen a game actually do that, where you get to see like almost these two characters, the protagonist and the antagonist, or however you want to put them in this story, they're both given a very level playing field when the game, when the game ends. They're, it's kind of hard to say, you know, who's really the antagonist and who's really the protagonist or who's the good, who's the bad here when they're both, you know, affecting each other's lives almost in equal ways. Now, one thing that I didn't think fit too well in the game, and when we talked about it, you didn't even uh, pick up on it because it really isn't touched on very much, is the the transgender message feels more so shoehorned in rather than feeling organic in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I That's in there briefly, but they didn't make it very meaningful. Um, the other things that I didn't like was the egregious amount of profanity. I found that to be like just desensitizing more than anything where we get the F word is used in everything, but it was overly used in this game, I felt. And... The sex scene, I was a little shocked they uh, threw that into the game. I was like, whoa, okay. Yeah, I saw that there was nudity on the back of the box. So when it too. does come, I was like, well, I mean, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know one of the things that we touched on earlier, which of course is one of the big moments in the game, one of the definitely jaw-dropping moments in the game, is that Joel is murdered, more or less, killed off within what would you say about the first hour of the game yeah it's within the like the opening segment um so which is about an hour ish or so yeah he's killed off like almost right away like right before like the main story begins which is it's an interesting choice to kill off a character like that's really important in the last game almost at the pretty much at the very beginning of this first game um now of course this of course this is the inciting incident to start the whole story but it's an interesting choice given how much attachment audiences have with this character to kill him off like uh like within the first hour or so yeah that was actually quite shocking to me uh, also because of the trailers did mislead you that joel would be an part of the game within the present is what they wanted you to think come to find out that's not true those were all flashbacks but nevertheless, once Joel, okay, I've seen enough Walking Dead to know Joel and Tommy were going into some bad situation. Mm-hmm. And once Joel got a shotgun to the leg from Abby, there was there was moments where my jaw just literally dropped. It, it just fell open. Yeah. And that was one of those moments. I really didn't believe they would kill off Joel. I did think that somehow he would be okay. The the impact was a little clunky for me personally because I had been playing um, so long. I stopped as Ellie right before entering the house. Oh, that's right. And, yeah. I, picked, yeah. and I just spoke with one of our other friends. He did the exact same thing. <laughs> um, did you just play it all the way through? Because that's kind of like, like you said, the opening act of the game. You don't really realize it, but it is. Yeah. When my first play session, I went through all the way through, I think, until... 
I think it was roughly a third or halfway through uh, Saturday one. So I didn't stop necessarily right before uh, anything before that. So I went straight through and got to this part in the story. And this is kind of what pulled, like really pulled me in is I thought it was interesting that they were, you know, they were taking this route. I was like, okay, this is interesting. They're killing off Joel. What's the story going to be like now once with the aftermath of this? And it is fitting. You begin the game as Joel. Joel's recounting what he did at the to close off the events of the first game. Mm-hmm. And then you just have this very like kind of last peaceful ride as Joel going into Jack's. You don't realize it's your last moment playing as the character. And it's kind of his last moment of peace in life. Yeah. Um, seemingly it, that's the case. Um, but, you know, I got to say that I think it was the right decision to kill Joel off here in the beginning of the game. There needed to be some big repercussions for what he did for shooting these seemingly nameless doctors. And I'd love that Druckmann humanizes the doctors in this game and humanizes the fireflies and brings them back, um, kind of a resurgence of those. And we get to see the aftermath. So it's kind of like, you know, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Joel is a violent person in life out of sometimes out of necessity and then sometimes out of his own choice. But to meet a violent end, especially here in the beginning of the game, and then you deal with kind of the cycle of violence, violence begets violence throughout the rest of the game, is a smart, inciting, and emotionally catalyst incident. Yeah, and so the the thing I think was most talked about with the first game was its ending. And it was the choice that Joel made, right? And so it is kind of interesting now... Uh, it should be noted that in the last game, the doctor that's represented in this game, uh, that's Abby's father, you have to kill that doctor in the first game. Like you can't go around him before before you finish the game. You have I've to always, kill that I've doctor. actually always wondered about that. Yes, yeah, you, the game makes you kill that doctor, right? If you want to finish yeah. it, of course. Um, so What would happen if you don't shoot him? Nothing. He'd probably it, get it, killed, wouldn't you? It wouldn't. I think the doctor would kill you if you... I, I think maybe the doctor would kill you. I, for, I forget exactly what happens if you do nothing. I got to replay that section. Yeah. So it's it's an interesting choice to take that. And then Joel's decision to... Joel's somewhat... And I guess the way of, the, a way of looking at it is his selfish decision, selfish decision to take Ellie away from the Fireflies, um, regardless of if the Fireflies would have been able to make a cure or not, because he feels that he needs her, right? And then bringing that back here... Uh, when we get into the relationship between Joel and Ellie, they explore that a little bit more and they show that Ellie kind of suspected it from the ending of the first game. It was left open, open-ended whether or not she did or did not believe him. But in this one, she finds out the truth that Joel was lying to her, right? And so this decision that he made is... Uh, is re- you get to see its repercussions here in the second game and how it affects not only himself, of course, here, in this, here when he dies, but also those around him, namely Ellie, who, you know, was saved by him in the very end of the game. And we do see later, of course, you know, Ellie is not necessarily very happy about that decision that he made, but it, it, it is an interesting choice. This is the inciting incident, essentially, to kickstart this whole plot is the decision that Joel made and him having to pay for that. I really did appreciate the usage of flashbacks in this game between the characters because you are going on this emotional journey for reasons you 
should have preconceived already if you had played the first game. And you're like, oh, of course Ellie would revenge Joel. But then you realize it's much deeper than that. It's Ellie kind of dealing with the loss of her father and also with trying to find a purpose in everything. And to me, it seems like she's like, well, I can't cure humanity and these um, fireflies that have come back for revenge. You know, I, I might as well just burn everything down. I might as well just kill them all and I'll at least have stopped the people that killed Joel. I don't know how it's going to make me feel better, but it's just something I have to do. Yeah. And as the game unfolds, you get to see the deeper reasoning behind their, you come to learn in the ensuing years, it's like four years later, you learn that their relationship had become very strained. Yeah, and partially, mostly because of um, Joel or Ellie trying to find out the truth, right? Right. Again, suspecting that things are not, you know, Joel might not be telling the whole truth here. Uh, and so I do kind of see, it's not what we showed to us until the very end of the game. Um, you, it's kind of interesting to see that this journey that she goes on is also somewhat of her way of coping with not being able to actually repair the relationship with Joel. Because after a certain point, you realize uh, when she goes back to the hospital and finds out the truth um, that Joel had lied to her, she says to him, uh, essentially, that we'll go back to Jackson because she had uh, threatened that she wouldn't. But mm -hmm. when, when we do get there, we're done, right? And right. there's like a year or two that pass where they have essentially grown way apart from each other. And then, of course, at the very end of the game, she comes up to him um, after the incident that starts this whole get, that starts the game that was in the trailers. Or I guess it wasn't in the trailers, but it was the same scene. Um, right. She says... Essentially, I'm willing to forgive you. I'm willing to start over and repair what we had lost. So I can also see this as a journey to her for her to, to fill what she had tried to restart again. Um, but then that not coming true because Joel ends up dying. So that not her not being able to fulfill that is also the drive for her to continue to go on this journey. If she can get revenge on those who wronged her and killed Joel, maybe she could find some kind of peace, which, of course, she does, really doesn't in the end. And I do like that. They That's okay. That's kind of cliche of the, you know, all oh, the last thing I said, you know, the whole Spider-Man thing. The last thing I ever said to Uncle Ben was I was mad at him or I didn't help him paint the kitchen or whatever. Right. Yeah. And we kind of have that between Joel and Ellie, but you've gone on such an emotional journey before you, before you begin to realize this is the case. And then especially it's um, like you said, the first real big footage we got was of the dance. And I thought they weren't even going to show that footage in the game. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't come till very late into it. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. Like we got to see it, but they're just talking about it in the very beginning. But we do get to see the broader context of it. And then you, I thought that was their last encounter that night was her just kind of storming off and embarrassing him and herself. And then there is that incredibly touching moment there at the end where Joel is just playing his guitar on his porch. And he said, if I had the opportunity to do it again, you know, he's like, I would do it again. And yeah. he's like, and I think the Lord every day that you are in my life and I had to do what I did to protect you. And that is their kind of path towards redemption. And mm -hmm. then of course that plays in to the very end between um, Abby and Ellie going against each other. And, Ellie realizes that she's 
basically fighting for a dead person. Whereas Joel was fighting for Ellie who was alive. And right. she's like, this isn't going to bring Joel back. What Joel did would, would bring, brought me back. So I did like kind of that context uh, of the game. And I like how Neil Druckmann and his crew kind of took something a little cliche and they made it pretty meaningful. Yeah. And I know that Neil Druckmann at one point, he, he had mentioned really early on, like, uh, when the game was announced and everything, and they were talking about, well, what's this one going to be like? What's Last of Us 2 going to be like? And he said, so Last of Us 1 was primarily centered around love, right? It's these two characters who come to love each other by the end of the game, right? Even though they, especially if you played it, you know that they are not very happy about being around each other in those first few hours. Then, uh, and he said, this game, uh, Last of Us 2, is centered more around hate. Um, and how that kind of comes to destroy us. And that was really about as far as he went um, by explaining that uh, when he was talking about the game at the, at the time. But uh, after the game was released, I heard that he had changed kind of his, uh, I guess, explanation as to what Last of Us 2 was really about. It's still kind of about hate, yes, but more to the point of love but in a different light showing what love the first one shows what love can do when it's when it's good right uh the good side of what love can provide but then also the last was two is kind of the opposite of that it's showing how much how much hurt and how much pain one can go through because of love right it's because of joel of ellie's love for joel and then his death where she decides to seek out and take revenge on those who had wronged her and how obsessed she becomes with this it's essentially showing how much um when you love something so much how much it can actually come to hurt you in the end i think that's an interesting choice an interesting way of i guess expressing um what the game what he's going for with this with this game and i guess that's that's one of the main reasons why i enjoyed abby's storyline so much is because they pulled out of ellie and jill's storyline to give us the broader context that Ellie and Joel aren't unique in their feelings and their relationships and what they're doing in this world is that, you know, these people that they, Ellie had no idea that Joel shot Abby's dad to save her. She didn't even know who these people were, but they were in the same situation at the exact same time. Right. And then you come to find out that Abby and Ellie are basically the same person they're on the same mission trying to avenge their dad and find that catharsis and feel some sense of justice and then what really surprised me was abby kind of becomes a joel in this game where you're paired up with this kid that you don't really want anything to do with yeah but in the end you come to really care for the kid and you have to take him along with you and uh watch out for him so I was uh, pretty surprised that you did come to play as Abby with, um, what's the, what's the kid's name? Yeah, it's uh, Lev. Lev, Lev, yeah. Yeah, you, yeah, you play with Lev um, and work with Lev. Kind of, it gave me those Joel and Ellie vibes, whereas Ellie is more out on this ruthless mission. And of course, I love that you, okay, I know you didn't like Abby's storyline as much, but you got to, I would hope you can admit that they did a good job kind of rounding out her story and definitely humanizing her and providing like a very three-dimensional context to her and her relationships. Yeah, I, I would say so. Yeah, I would say that even though the first, uh, 
quite about two thirds of her story, I was trying, I was trying to get into it, but I wasn't really like, it, it wasn't, you know, gr I wasn't grabbing at it, right? I wasn't, mm -hmm. I was trying to find something to latch onto. And yeah. it wasn't until like about the last third or so when I was like, okay, I'm starting to get into this now. Uh, I'm starting to get into understand her story. And that's probably because I've been, I've been playing as Abby for so long that uh, it just began to grow on me, right? And so I would say that when she does come back, when her and Lev do come back, Lev goes to uh, the island again um, to find his mom um, and they rush after him uh, and bring him back. We do see that one, because of that journey that Abby took to go save Lev, um, she comes back and then her friends are now dead, that being Mel and Owen. Right. And I think that's when I really connected with the character of, of Abby is her journey going back to the, going to the island um, that the scars, or I guess the Seraphites are located on. That's mm -hmm. now at this point now being burned into the ground, saving Lev, bringing Lev back, um, only to find that the friends are dead. And then seeing her react to uh, walking in to her friends' death, where she like kneels over on the floor and throws up and stuff. I was like, okay, now now I'm really feeling it. Because I think it wasn't until the characters were killed off that I realized that how much I actually ended up caring for them. I think I still like, like yeah. I mentioned earlier, I think I still like Ellie's story a little bit more because I have more of the backstory with Ellie. But by the end of Abby's plays, uh, the end of Abby's session, when you play as her, I did... I did begin to pick up and begin to feel more for her and her in her story. And I, I like that they chose to, instead of with Abby, um, the backstory and the reason you care about her relationships with Owen, for instance, is because like with the first game, it was more of a father daughter bond that you form. This one was like, what if this is a romantic bond that these characters have? And then that's tragically ripped away from them. Also because Abby has really hardened her heart and closed herself off from Owen. She just can't love. So she has to watch Owen move along with his life with Mel mm -hmm. and then get pre And then they are pregnant with child, but then they have this kind of affair. It gets a little steamy there and yeah. a little more intriguing that way. Um, but nevertheless, I cared on that emotional level as well. When I didn't care really when Owen and, Mel got shot, except that Mel was pregnant. I didn't know these characters. I knew that they were just these kind of, kind of wickedly conspiring people who brutally murdered Joel. Mm -hmm. But then when you come to find out that there's a lot more humanity behind them and they were just doing what they were thinking was right just for their friend, just pretty much for Abby's sake, it seemed like, then there's a lot more context to that. Um, and the other thing that I wanted to speak to was I think one of the main reasons why I liked playing as Abby more in the end is because after playing as Ellie, you don't, you realize you don't have any kind of noble pursuit. After a while, you're not trying to save a kid and bring the kid across America. And then you love the kid and then you want to protect the kid. No, you just want to murder people and just get to the ultimate prize of Abby. Abby has to go out and find Owen because she knows there's going to be some big attack. And your goal is to find and rescue Owen only to find out he's murdered by the time you get to him and you go through flashbacks. So I found it all to be pretty riveting going, building the relationship through flashbacks and then realizing that you're never going to get to talk to him in real life. 
in the present day because he's murdered. Um, I don't know, building the relationships through that way and then bringing Lev into it, who is, they're supposed to be like mortal enemies and hate each other. And you realize Abby has the capacity to protect and love. And she says, you're my people. She turns against Isaac. I found that all to be really fascinating and exciting to play through. Yeah. And it's also kind of interesting too, because when you follow Ellie's journey, uh, you do get to see her essentially lose her her humanity, right? She gets so obsessed with this idea of trying to kill and take revenge on Abby that she loses everything, right? Um, we talked about this a little bit, of, a little bit ago. And then when you're following Abby's story, it's the complete opposite. Abby is trying, as Abby is already this like pretty hardcore ruthless killer. And then as the story goes along, she's trying to fix herself. She's trying to be more, I guess, sympathetic and more human-like instead of this raging killing machine, which really comes out when she meets Lev and the other girl, I forget her name. Um, but you get to see how it's kind of funny how Abby, who's supposed to be, you know, the big bad villain at the beginning of the story, uh, turns out to not necessarily be that way by the end of it. She's, and I would argue she's more human at this point in the story than, than Ellie is. Um, yeah. when they, when, by the, when they meet up at the very end in Seattle day three. And mm -hmm. so it's kind of interesting how Ellie, of course, you, you would naturally assume um, that Ellie, I would say, is the good guy, is like the good character, you know, the the hero. But by the end, uh, by the end of day three, and maybe even by the end of the game, it's not maybe not necessarily that simple. It's not that Ellie is the hero or Abby is the villain. It's a bit more complex than that. I did mention this earlier that you know they they do this really they do really like to ride the gray area in this game uh, a lot. But it is an interesting concept. It's like a almost like a bait and switch, right? With the audience, where you would assume that this is supposed to be this one way, but in reality, by the end of the story, it's not quite that simple anymore. And I th I love how Druckmann and his crew are through increments, kind of desensitizing you to the atrocities that you're going through, and they're just kind of numbing you to everything until all at once the floodgates break open. And you realize that everyone is just this nightmarish monster, just the absolute worst of humanity comes out at once. Mm -hmm. Because when you think about it, Abby does the exact same thing that Joel does, but without even giving a care or realizing the context. Um, when, yeah, when Jesse just comes out and Abby just shoots him clear through the face, mm -hmm. Jesse is the father of Dina's baby. And now she's going to have to raise the baby without the baby ever knowing his father. Joel took Abby's father away from him and that's what kind of started this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you can, you can just see that's, um, how Druckmann has used this a lot where the cycle continues where people just have to keep one upping each other. And once again, um, Ellie shoots Mel and Owen who were parents as well. And, um, you're just realizing that it's going to keep going down through. The generations who knows maybe dina's babies will want to go find lev and abby and go take them out right but you kind of realize it at the end um when abby's about to slit dina's throat um because she's just because she's pregnant mm -hmm. and then lev brings that humanity back to abby and he's like abby like i didn't this isn't you and you realize that's when the floodgates break open and you've become so numb and you're like dang this is nope nope this is this is too much. Um, you're just basically doing the things that you've been trying to fight against and you've played into it this whole time. So right. I think that's great thematic storytelling right there. Yeah. 
I do kind of want to just briefly go back to our discussion of love just a second ago, because I remembered now that we're talking about Lev, because he's a part of the Seraphites, um, we do get to see a lot of depictions of like this, this woman on a lot of paintings that are done by the Seraphites, right? Uh, and it right. always has something to do with love. Like her love will fill you or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting that, uh, again, kind of like what Neil Druckmann was saying, like, like I mentioned earlier, um, even the Seraphites have some view of love, right? It's also something that's very, very different than these other two characters. Um, they're, they're a little bit more, um, I don't know, I guess I don't really know how to explain it. Um, but they're, they're Militant. a bit more, what's that? Militant. Yeah, militant, uh, and maybe a little bit more animalistic in some ways. Well, and, and Seraphites are angels. Right, yeah. The Seraphim. That's right. So... It's interesting to see uh, even the Seraphites have some kind of view of love, but a, a very different way of going, I guess, showing it and depicting it because they're they're a bit more traditional, right? They're not as uh, they're not as contemporary as like our our, our other characters. Either way, uh, it is an interesting way of showing another way of just kind of showing love. Um, very different view, I guess, than. What were I probably than what we're used to? This is this one's very more ritualistic than what I guess anything else that we're used to typically. Yeah, they are this kind of interesting religious cult where they kind of mm -hmm. have this prophetess that's behind it. And if you read the notes, um, it's interesting because she's a very passive individual that doesn't seem very militant. And I think they're and they did have this truce, but they caught her and they executed her. So she's never alive during the game. Mm -hmm. But her passivity, um, kind of her whole turn the other cheek attitude does kind of make a lot of the WLF question their just, as you said, violent methods or just animalistic methods. And um, the Seraphites are still uh, pretty, pretty savage with their ways and whatnot not very inclusive or forgiving or don't believe in reconciliation considering lev's own mom tries right. to kill him which is pretty pretty horrible so right. he has to do the killing of her but nevertheless um yeah the more we talk about it the more you kind of realize the the whole um, parent child the love for children or the hate for them is really baked into this game i mean the last of us opens with Joel's daughter's death with Sarah dying right. in his arms. Yeah. So it really is baked into this game. And yeah, the way that the Seraphites and the WLF use like love and acceptance is fascinating because it's always conditional. Mm -hmm. um, you never get any sort of unconditional love, um, except probably between Abby and Lev where they're from different sides of the tracks. And she says, you're my people now. I really liked that moment when she turns against Isaac and whatnot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But this game, as we've noted, isn't all perfect. It still has some strong elements, but there is some things that I didn't quite like about it. They're not huge, mm -hmm. um, but still it's like why they're in there. Um, I don't know, Alan, maybe... <laughs> Just, just being movie reviewers, we have to watch a lot of movies. And I know if you're going to make an R-rated movie, the word of choice is now the goal is to put as much profanity into it as possible because you can, I guess. And mm. it's just become a very culturally phenomenal word, the F word. It's used a lot more in this game than the first game. And I noticed the profanity level was 
amped up. I'm just kind of, like I said, just kind of used to it at this point. But nevertheless, I felt like the, the writing, I think the writing could have been a little better unless they were just really striving for a lot of gutter language. And I'm not a prude, yeah. okay? <laughs> I'm not a prude about this. But nevertheless, it just seemed to be like, yeah, everybody throws it in their R-rated movies so much. Let's just do it too. Did that catch your attention at all? I guess not necessarily, but mostly because the f I, I guess I didn't see it as they were saying it more than they were with the first game. I found it to be mm. around the same between the two of them. Um, okay. At least in my view, I didn't think that they necessarily use it more than the first one did. I thought they were both about the same. But I mean, they do use it pretty liberally in the in the two games. I will <laughs> give you that. Uh, partially because this the world that they craft is one that is not necessarily very forgiving um, or very nice. So yeah, I I mean, I can see where you're coming from, but I, I guess I didn't necessarily see first game and second game, or I guess didn't necessarily see that the second game was using it more liberally than the first game was. They're both, I thought they're using it around the same amount. Uh, I just feel like if you use a word a number of times, especially for a 24 hour experience, and you find yourself throwing it in almost every other sentence, I feel like you probably should get out of the usage for that word and figure out another way to bring the character's emotions out. It got a little tired for me. And I will say that did feel a little bit of a barrier to these characters emotions, the way they express themselves just through this, this profanity or that particular word felt to me to get a little tired. And I think they could have strived for more uh, language that, could have got us better into their mindset. But like I said, you know what? It's a harsh world. Some of it's probably is necessary, but to me it was a lot, but mm -hmm. I don't know. This game does push the boundaries more with everything it does. Um, yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, I got to say the sex scene wasn't really necessary. Yeah. I thought. That, that's, <laughs> that, I mean, it's, it's definitely their highlight, like the sexual tension between Owen <laughs> when it comes to um, Abby and then and his girlfriend, Mel. Right. Um, yeah, and don't that, get me wrong. It, it still had an impact on me that yeah. they were striving for. Of You kind of want Owen and Mel to get together. But I was just surprised they went there. I'm like, oh, oh, oh whoa, this, yeah. is, this is getting real. Yeah, no, I, I do agree with you. I do agree with you. It, it, they do push it, and I was a bit surprised by that as well. There's also a scene with Isaac that happens a bit earlier on before that. Um, where they had captured a Seraphite and they had him tied to a chair and he was mm -hmm. naked. Um, you don't see a whole lot because the shadows kind of cover most of it. But I noticed that as well um, earlier in the game. And I think it's actually yeah. when you first meet Isaac, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that's exactly when you first meet Isaac. Yeah. yeah. And I was that's when I was like, oh, okay. All right. Yeah. I guess they're pushing it a bit more. Because I, I, like, I like I said earlier, I did see that there, I did see on the box nudity was labeled under the rating. So I, wasn't mm -hmm. exactly super surprised when these two things came up, but yeah, for an eye dog, I would say this is different because they're most of their games have been Jack and Daxter, uh, or, uh, crash bandicoot, crash bandicoot or uncharted, which are T yeah, and below clean. Yeah. yeah. I was, I was trying to decipher, are they promoting adultery? Because Owen is like, come with me and you're kind of rooting for them to, I, I don't know, do something or release the sexual tension somehow. So if if I find myself rooting for that, 
It, meanwhile, he does have a wife that's pregnant with their child. I don't know. I felt like I was they're trying to get us on board with this adulterous relationship. What I don't know. What did you take away from it? Um, I don't know. I guess I always saw Owen as kind of he only came off to me as a guy who was getting whatever came to him at the moment, right? So mm. when it came to Mel, Mel was there at the moment, and next thing they know, Mel's pregnant. Um, yeah. Abby That's was always had a thing for him. Um, and in that moment when she goes to him in his boat and he's totally drunk, uh, <laughs> you know, he's feeling it and, and there's a moment there. So I don't, I guess I always found Owen to be more of a character to live, uh, to live by the moment with almost everything that he does. Also, I, I guess that could also play into the, his, like, I guess house is being the aquarium, um, in the right. game too. Yeah, he has no self-control. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was... Uh, anyways, they did a good job, at the very least, I guess, of making it an interesting love triangle with these characters that I was invested in. It was unnecessarily gratuitous, but hey. Um, the other thing that just seemed out of place, I I'm, don't really understand why it's in this game. And I know we had to talk about this before... Um, I think before I even finished the game is I know Neil Druckmann wants to promote LGBTQ people. That's why Ellie is gay with Dina in this game. I was surprised though, they brought in Lev as a transgender character. And personally for me, I felt like it was shoehorned in there and it didn't feel like it was brought up in any sort of organic way. I was trying to decipher what he was meaning by having a transgender character be a part of this uber religious kind of zealous cult in a way. Um, I don't know. I just feel like if they're going to go down that road, they got to explore it a little deeper because to me, I just thought maybe Lev could be a tomboy, but I, I don't know. It just didn't, didn't uh, feel like it was very organic to me. Yeah. I guess explain this one little bit to me. Cause I, I like, I think I mentioned it earlier. Um, I don't remember this at all. I don't remember them really. I always thought that the transgender like anger from the crowd was always pointed towards Abby um, because she is made to look a bit more that masculine than the other women in the story. I, I, I guess that was where when I heard transgender and people were getting mad about it, that's where it came from. But I, right. I, I, I guess I don't remember ever or I guess I didn't see Lev as that kind of a character. And that's. That's kind of you're kind of proving my point there is if they want to promote this, then they got to have more of a reason to have it in there just then I want this out of my game and I'm going to mm -hmm. put it in there. So for a movie for not a movie for a game that is so well written, I felt like this aspect was just underserved, which seems strange to me. But you're right. Um, the rumor was Abby was a man that was a transgender man to woman, however you want to phrase it. Right. Um, and that you were going to be playing as a transgender character, which as far as I know, something we've never done, especially in a AAA video game mm -hmm. for a large portion of the game. And people were frustrated and felt like this was Druckmann trying to shove his political viewpoint down our throats. And for a beloved game, such as the first one, we would have to come to see his side and viewpoint by playing through the game. Surprise. That's that was totally fake. Yeah, um, yeah. totally an outrage. Um, Lev has a different name. This is Lev's new name. It, Lev has more of a feminine name okay. that the Seraphites call her. It's like um, Lily, I think. Okay. 
um, you hear him yell that out sometimes. And then Lev's sister says, did you hear them say that? Or did you hear them call Lev a she? And Abby's like, yeah, I, I did, but it's not really in a, any of my business. And she's like, yeah, well, the, the tribal leaders wanted Lev to marry one of the tribal heads, one of the man, men. Lev didn't want to do that. So Lev seemed like, and this is from my recollection, the only way of getting out of that was she didn't want to be a girl any longer. She would rather be a boy. Hence, she shaved her head, which was a big no-no for a girl to do. Oh, and then, yeah. she, then they had to go on the run. And that's why they were captured. And, uh, they're getting their hands broken, their, their wings clipped, and they're going right. to get hung up okay yeah no i do remember this now that you bring it up yeah 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 i do remember that i guess yeah i think it just went right over my head um with him be, be, with it being a more transgender message there and apparently the person that does the motion capture for lev is a transgender person okay. in real life so clearly neil Druckmann has put it out there that lgbtq promotion is a big thing for him um and, you know, I, honestly, the relationship that um, Abby has as a teenager that she describes in her journals, I found all of that writing to be very well done. Mm -hmm. um, not just irregardless of whether it was homosexual, I would say from my own heterosexual experiences, those types of feelings were true to life. So that writing, you know, getting close to somebody and whatnot, you should read the journals because I think they're really well written. I found that to be a solid character connection and exploration with Lev. I found that to be pretty weak is she didn't want to marry a tribal leader. So she shaved her head and they ran off. It just, it was, just felt shoehorned in there. It was just strange. Honestly, yeah. I guess I'll have to go back and read Abby's journal again. Cause I miss, I must've missed that too. I know that they're it's Ellie's journal. Oh, Ellie's journal. Okay. And, oh yeah. They, they mentioned another character in the opening when you're on, when you're in the snow with uh, Dina uh, riding on a horseback, they do bring up another character. I think her name was Lexi. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. There, so, there's some really great journal entries. Yeah. I've read a couple of them, um, but I haven't read them I read all. all of them. <laughs> I don't think I've, collect, I don't think I've collected, collected all of them yet, but, but yeah. Yeah. I don't think I've collected all of them either, but mm -hmm. I've got most of Ellie's though. Gotcha. And those ones you don't collect, they're um, already placed in the game. Okay. Um, you just have to make sure to flip back to the beginning um, oh, because gotcha. it won't open to the beginning of the journal. So got to go back and read those. I gotcha. I gotcha. Um, cannabis is promoted. So if you're down for weed, then that's true. It is. I mean, this, <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, it just depends on your viewpoint, but mm -hmm. this game is kind of like down for a lot of progressive mindsets. I didn't find very many of them to be particularly offensive, but yeah, if, if you're not into weed, this game does have, like I said, weed, same sex attraction, some adultery right. type stuff in it so it's it's pretty intense in some aspects <laughs> yeah i guess i guess when it came to the to that part the uh the weed part i did feel like some of this game um maybe a little bit pandering to millennials in some ways i feel like sure. uh they maybe they feel new drug when i know wants to go down this route of having more inclusiveness in its characters but i felt like the it was when they got to the cannabis part, Eugene's um, secret stash in the basement. Mm -hmm. That's when I felt I was like, okay, but uh, I, I don't know. I guess I just felt like millennials were just being more pandered to in that moment than some other aspects of the game. Um, I don't necessarily have necessarily a problem with it being depicted, but I didn't necessarily see 
what the reasoning for being in the story was at the time. Well, and that's why that's what I was exactly trying to say with the F word is I felt like they were taking a lot of story or writing cues more so from a brand new Netflix original series, mm-hmm. which will be laced with profanity, all forms of sexual relationships, definite drug promotion. And I, I don't know, like I said, I was just kind of feeling like, yeah, that's kind of the millennial mindset is just kind of be vulgar and profane about everything. Don't mm-hmm. give a care for it. So I kind of saw it take more of a playbook out of that, which did disappoint me. I think the writing in the first game is stronger in certain aspects than this one. Yeah, I would say that if we were to compare the first two games, um, I, guess, I guess the only two games that exist currently, if we were to right. compare the two games, Corbin, which one would you be willing to pick up? Uh, which one would you be more willing to pick up? The first one or this one? Are we basing this off of story, gameplay mechanics, or both? Let's go, well, let's go story first, okay. and then we'll go gameplay, and then we'll go overall. I, I'm okay. I'm curious to see what you think. So, story first, if if you were to pick which one you think has, which, which game you go for more based on its story, which one would you go for? Just based upon story, I would probably easily hands down go for the second game first okay i've never found kind of the hook between joel and ellie to be particularly compelling in the first game okay i always found it to be a little confusing and it just doesn't ever feel quite right because i'm never sure who um just their connection with the fireflies i think Druckmann and his team do have a knack for world building and not shoving it in your face and just making like feel like this world's already lived in i feel like i could have used a little bit more of that for the first game so the the hook for the first game i'm never i never quite gets me into it um but then i'm into it later on um i gotta say this story is much deeper much heavier much more involved i know the story like wrecked people so much they can't play it not me I would pick this one up again. Yeah. If I were basing on a story, I would probably also go for the second game, but not by such a wide margin like you were. Mm. Um, I think that the idea of playing as the main character, playing as Ellie, who's going on this journey uh, up to a point, then switching to the the villain who has been the villain the whole time, switching to her stories, having her story play out, and then at the very end, seeing our main character go back double down and then finally take out the villain that has been the villain for the essentially up until that point of the story. Um, I think that's a wonderful journey. I don't know if it's necessarily played out completely hundred percent that I'm on board with how it is here, but I find that idea to be wildly interesting. Um, I think that they harken on a lot more complex stuff than they have in the first one. And the first one's still a rather complex game, especially when you get down to like Joel's decision in the end and stuff like that. I think this one, I don't know, I guess I found there to be a little bit more to this one. And maybe it's because it's 10 hours longer than the first one, um, which I'm sure that there's a lot more to dive deep into than about 10, 15 hours of gameplay with the first one. So story-wise, yeah, I think I go. I think I would end up picking this one up. Um, if I were given the choice, I'd probably go for, for Last of Us 2 than Last of Us 1. But gameplay might be a, di- a bit of a different story, Corbin. Yeah. What do, you, gameplay, what do you think? Well, I think they did a fantastic job improving upon the gameplay mechanics, upon the menus, the crafting, 
everything i i thought everything felt great in this game and i liked the uniqueness of um part one it was a little bit more simplistic than this game i think the um supplements these were like supplement trees in this game it wasn't quite like that in the first one was it no it was a little bit different it there weren't so many sections like different parts you could upgrade there's a lot more here um to upgrade it's a little bit more there's a little bit more diversity when it comes to that aspect the first one wasn't was a bit more linear when it came Mm -hmm. to a supplement upgrades yeah i thought that was an interesting choice as well um i loved crafting at the workbench in this game looking at the weapon was so cool and yeah that's put it together i love the sound that that's probably one of my favorite aspects of this game just in general is you get to see up close these model the models that they made for these guns and when they upgrade it it's not like you know maybe there's a small model swap here or nothing really actually changes of the gun no you actually do get to see them work on the gun and actually upgrade it those that those are probably my favorite moments is getting to see the upgrades those those are really cool those animations and the sound effects that they have it is really really cool you should have that be a ringtone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I kind of actually hold this game up as far as some gameplay mechanics go to kind of be the gold standard now for all other games. Okay. Because I felt everything was, and then, you know, coming off of playing Grounded on the first one. Yeah. I felt this game, everything was like so smooth and I just highly enjoyed all of it. Um, and I'm saying that after playing, after I uh, finish this game i jumped straight into rise of the tomb raider and shadow of the tomb raider beat both of them and i could pick up a bottle but you have to use it pretty soon or else you'll get rid of it mm-hmm. you can't just keep a bottle or craft a molotov you got to use it immediately um the crafting branches were so confusing in those games i hated it i didn't i i hated it. i had no incentive for that this game was incredible so based upon that Personally, I, um, I'm going to go with the second game. I think it's a smarter evolution than the first game. Everything just felt so good playing through the game. There are a lot of things in this game that I feel, um, do very much improve on it. Like I love that you finally have a silencer that was going to be in the first game and it's not anymore. And it wasn't, they pulled it out, but you do get silencers now in this game. Uh, you can dodge attacks, you can dodge melee attacks. It's a lot more, it's a lot easier to do melee attacks with that dodge, not having to worry about um, getting hit again. Um, You do have to worry about it, but you can't escape it. Um, Again, I love that you can upgrade weapons and get to see the upgrades actually happen before your eyes. But I think when it comes to overall snappiness, I, I think the first game for me still feels better to play with because... There's a lot, I I guess I just like the way that Joel feels when you're controlling him. He feels like there's a lot of weight to him, a lot of force. And you do kind of get that with Abby. But I think this game is also, when it comes to combat, maybe a little bit too fast in some areas. Because in the first game, when you have the modded melee weapon and you go to attack somebody with it, you really feel the melee weapon like, like sink into their neck and then Joel ripping down to kill, to get the kill. Um, I, I felt like the first game felt a bit more punchier when it came to some of the aspects here. And I found, especially when you push it now, I have yet to play Grounded on Last of Us 2. As of this recording, it just came out. Um, I have yet to figure out, yet to experience that and really, really push the controls as far as uh, the game will allow me to. But the first game, I felt, I still feel like the first game is king over gameplay um, in terms of controls, at least. When, it, when compared to the, to the second game, because the first game just felt so snappy and felt so clean. 
Um, I mean, it, there is some grunginess to it, but that's by design. So it's hard for me to say, but they're close, but I think I'm going to have to go with game number one here, um, mostly based on controls. The two characters that we have do feel really good to play, but I like the way that the first game handles it. It's a bit more simple um, in a lot of areas, but that's my thoughts on it. I did like uh, the stealth kills better in this one than yeah. the other one. Yeah, they're a bit more varied this time around. So you have had a lot of gameplay time with the first game, at least with the campaign and with online (laughs) and with online. I Uh have played the campaign twice on regular and then grounded completed both of them. And I had a ton of time um, with the online, which I came to really love. And I loved the gameplay of all of that, Mm -hmm. um, the mechanics online, but you haven't had as much time with the second one. Uh, so just overall, if you're going to pick a pick one off the shelf again, discarding that, I guess you've already played the first game like eight times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so you, you kind of gave a point to story for the second one and a point to mechanics for the first one. So which, which is it going to be? Which is going to be the winner? Uh, see, that's hard. and it's because i haven't played the second game for 160 hours yet right um so it is hard to say right now what i would go for uh if if one would exist and i can only pick one which one would it be um if i could or i guess not if one exists if i could only have one which one would it be as of right now probably the first one and that's because there is that multiplayer aspect to it with this with this game with part two right now it's you have the story um, and you have the model viewer. Um, you have some extras that they just released recently, um, changing up how things play around with the with options like um, slowing down time when you aim or whatever. Um, but there's no multiplayer aspect to it. There's no DLC as of right now for it yet. Um, so right now as an overall package, I'd probably go for the first one because it does have more variety outside of just the main game. There is uh, more to do with that first game. You are correct. And that's something I'm kind of, I mean, okay. I came into the last of us remastered. So I got the upgraded graphics and I did get all of, I got left behind. I got factions. I got all of that great bonus content included in my super cheap $10 purchase, which was a great deal. Right. You're right. I was disappointed because when this game, once I got back to the main menu, I think the model viewer is incredible. That's a lot of um, fun. That is really amazing. Um, the concept art is just insightful to look through. Um, you know, when you're at the farmhouse and Ellie talks about killing the boar, they made concept art for her doing that mm-hmm. and for the dead boar. So it's really cool that it's kind of like almost like the extended cut. You get to see what may have been in the game and cut from it. Um, but there's no statistics screen, which I found to be bizarre. This is a naughty dog yeah. game. I, I spent a lot of time um, during my first playthrough of part two trying to get as many headshots as I could only to find at the very end that they don't even track <laughs> that or at least they don't have it, a way to access, access it right now. That it's was very strange. Sad. Very that sad. was disappointing. And um, yeah, I thought it was a real treat to have Left Behind um, to go through that. That was an incredible kind of prequel story for Ellie. Um I don't know. I don't know if we're going to get anything like that for part two. Um, Maybe not. I think 
That would be wildly interesting if it did maybe involve uh, Abby or... Uh, no, actually, I, I think I would appreciate it more if it was Lev on the Seraphite mm -hmm. um, Island in Haven. Um, that would be a fascinating DLC side story. I don't know what you think, but... Yeah, I, I agree. I think that it's a bit too early to tell because there could be, you know there could be some DLC that is released in the future. I think with the first game, they didn't release the DLC for it until about a, I think it was about six, six to about months to about a year after the game released before yeah. they finally did release that DLC for it. So, but there, I do, I think my biggest point, my biggest problem right now is that there is no multiplayer. It was planned, but they couldn't get it into the game on time um, for various reasons, um, which that holds a lot of replay value in and of itself. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of a big, big, big loss. Can we both agree that thankfully, I, I am actually thankful that the multiplayer isn't a part of the trophy list to get the platinum. Yeah, Al I agree. Although I, okay, good. Because although I highly enjoyed the multiplayer, playing through all of those matches just to get the platinum got to be kind of over the top. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I'm glad that there are no, there is no multiplayer here because now we don't have to worry about completing the multiplayer trophies um, to get the platinum. That I do like that because the first game was way too stressful trying to get the platinum and having to deal with everybody. And you're at the time, at least my uh, skill level not being nearly as close as it should be uh, to get the platinum, or at least I feel comfortable getting it. So yeah, I agree. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to playing online with you once multiplayer comes out for this. They better not charge us for it though, or I'm gonna be mad about that. Yeah, I think that there was talk of it maybe being its like own separate thing, maybe its own game that they release later. I don't, who knows what's going to happen with it. I um, mean, if they do that, they got to bundle it with another DLC type story, I think. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully it isn't nearly as stressful as the first game. But yeah. <laughs> That'll be interesting, but I got to say this might surprise you. I probably I really don't have any reason to pick up part 1 ever again. Really? I played through it on, I played through it twice. I, I highly enjoyed both experiences, but it's going to be a really long time before I come back to part one. Like, and it's going to be a long time before I come back to part two, because there's so many other games to play. Mm -hmm. I definitely want to come back to it, but it is so long at uh, roughly 25 hours. Um, and it is kind of, I don't know. I almost got almost all of the collectibles on my first playthrough that I'm tempted just to go back to the sections that I missed. And I think I could get the platinum that way without fully replaying the game. But um, the one thing that I am actually disappointed about is I kind of wanted to have to beat the game on Survivor to get that platinum trophy. Like, I feel like it's just they put us through so much difficulty to get that platinum, which ultimately turned out to be a great experience for the first game, if not a har harrowing experience. Yeah. But the plat the get the platinum in part two is pretty straightforward and simple. Yeah. Well, you Talking know, about. now with the newest update, there's Grounded again, which is I'm I'm happy about, which means I will be playing it at some point and Grounded. Now there's also Permadeath mode, which uh, somebody already like you. I think you texted me the other day. Yeah. Somebody already beat uh, Permadeath mode and Grounded, um, which is ridiculous. And if you want 100 percent, then yes, you will have to play on Permadeath. Great. Well, Alan, what is your rating and recommendation for The Last of Us Part 2? I've tried to go into The Last of Us Part 2, um, I guess, as 
open-minded as possible because as much as I do love the first game, um, I did want to see, you know, what this sequel had to offer. Um, but I didn't want to, you know, have that, have rose tinted glasses on while playing it. And there are some things in here that I, I don't like. Um, I've said, Abby, I'm not too big of a fan of, although towards the end of playing with her for 10 hours, I started to, she did sort of grow on me. So maybe with a second playthrough, that would change. Um, that's partially this game feels like it was more of an action game than it was, you know, a character drama. Whereas the first game felt, even though it had action sequences, it felt like they were very, very heavily character driven. Um, and I wanted to see where, you know, then well, I wanted to see what these characters were going to go after, after that sequence. Um, this is mostly with the rat King. I, I didn't really like fighting the rat King because I didn't really want this to be an action game. Um, but at the end of the game, once the game did end and finding and getting that ending of Ellie letting Abby go and then Ellie coming back to her completely destroyed um, life at this point, I found that to be, you know, where this game, I found that to be where the most importance of this game is at. And that's with the story that it's trying to tell. I mentioned this a bit earlier. I think in concept, the story works very well. I think an implementation, partially because of what's already become before this game, Maybe it's a story that uh, I can see what a lot of people have issues with. I have a little bit of issue with it, but mostly due to the fact that um, I didn't find the villain or was perceived to be the villain in the beginning to be as interesting as Ellie's story. But that does not mean that I would not would not play it again. I absolutely would, and I'm trying already kind of in that process. So yeah, I would still recommend this game. Absolutely, I think it's I, I think it's a fairly solid game despite what people think about it. So. For me, I'm going to say 8 out of 10, but a definite recommend. The Last of Us Part 2 delivers in every way. I had no idea where Druckmann and his Naughty Dog team would take the story once credits began on Part 1. Thankfully, they followed up in a smart, organic way. Dealing with the immense fallout of killing the doctors to save Ellie's life, Ellie's crisis of purpose, and her strained relationship with Joel provide a conflicting plot for these two beloved characters. I was very surprised at the major inclusion of Abby the character I came to hate almost immediately due to her brutal massacre of Joel. But once her journey develops, I began to see her and Ellie aren't all that different. In fact, they're two sides of the same coin, both daughters avenging the fathers they loved. Naughty Dog did the seemingly impossible by making me empathetic to Abby and her friends. In the beginning, I rooted for their downfall, yet once I saw the humanity of their story, I was heartbroken to see all of them perish in such tragic ways. In fact, I was more pulled into Abby's storyline. It seems Naughty Dog purposely gave Abby the big moments in the story in order for us, the player, to forge a more emotional bond. Once the final showdown between Ellie and Abby occurred on that dark, cold shore, I was so emotionally wrecked that I let Abby kill Ellie a few times because I just couldn't mash square anymore. And that's the most shocking bit of the sequel is the fact that Ellie becomes the villain. Her bloodlust for revenge drives away any chance she had at a lasting, normal, peaceful life. Gratefully, that's the moral of the story. Revenge will only lead to ruin. It's a hard story to swallow, but the journey and message are well worth it. On the technical side, I was immensely impressed with not only the visual, but the gameplay mechanics. Smashing windows, pushing through crevices, shooting while lying prone, crafting on the fly, seamless switching weapons, jumping, dodging, crawling, all of it was buttery smooth and wickedly intuitive. Not only was this a treat for my eyes, but also a feast for my fingers. 
I believe this is the best PS4 experience I've had. It sure is the best looking game to finish out the console generation. Even the facial animations were crazy realistic. My one nitpick is that I didn't like the layout and controls of photo mode as much as I did with Naughty Dog's last game, Uncharted 4. I do take two issues with the writing of this game, and they stem from Druckmann and his writer's worldview. My first issue is the overusage of the F-word, and to a lesser extent, language in general. The F-word has seriously increased in our world's vocabulary over the past few years. It is the new big word of our time. I understand language has its place in storytelling in order to be true to characters, but the usage of the F-word every couple minutes over a 24-hour experience, along with a smattering of constant profanity, came across as culturally lazy writing and ultimately a degraded push to lower our standards. My second issue, which thankfully isn't a major topic in the game, is the shoehorned inclusion of the transgender agenda. Yes, this game also promotes a same-sex lifestyle, but that is at least told far more organically. Notes from Ellie's journal about her adolescent romantic feelings, I found true to life from my heterosexual adolescent experience. A Druckmann wants to affect LGBTQ change through promoting it in his video games, then he should have came up with a more compelling reason to have it here. Lev could have been a tomboy for all I know. The dropped lines providing explanation is lazy and forced. Druckmann is saying that transgenderism is a universal truth rather than a cultural attitude. If a cloistered seraphite coming from a group of religious zealots can realize their sex is wrong than anyone could, except Druckmann provides threadbare context as to Lev's transsexual decision. Therefore, it seems he just wants to push the issue rather than having a meaningful character exploration. Those aside, The Last of Us Part 2 is a masterpiece of storytelling and gameplay. It truly is one of the greatest video games of all time and one of the best narrative experiences. The game receives 9 stars out of 10 with my highest recommendation. Well, Alan, are you hoping for Last of Us Part 3? Do you think they should even go there? Or are you kind of hoping Naughty Dog is going to exercise their chops on like a brand new IP? I know that they're that they've confirmed that they're doing a title for Pete the PS5. No surprise. Um, now, whether or not that'll be an Uncharted Five or a Last of Us Four or Last of Us Three, uh, we have yet to know um, what will come out of that. I would like there to be a Last of Us Three. Um, I'm afraid that if they go down that route, they're going to want to try and top themselves again, um, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, but I think, you know, I, I guess I'm ready for a, a break, you know, with these new, with new Last of Us releases, because I got into The Last of Us, let's see, in 2018, I think is when I played it for the first time. So no more than a couple of years, right? Right. I'm, I didn't play it back in 2013, uh, when it first released. So I'm okay with, you know, Last of Us 3 not coming out for a while, but I would like to see a Last of Us 3, but mostly to see what they, what Naughty Dog can do years into the future. Um, but I'm also curious, I, I would like to see a new IP from them. Now we've had pretty much Uncharted and Last of Us for set for two generations now. It's been essentially all that they did. They did a little bit of Jack and Dex. So I think they did remaster, but I want to see a new IP. That's where I'm making for the most. Yeah, I'm actually in the same boat with you. Um, I really want to see a new IP. I think they can do something really incredible because like you said, they do have that Jack and Daxter, Crash Bandicoot history. I don't necessarily want them to go back to those games, but I want them to do, I want them to kind of bring their realism, but bring it into something outside of treasure hunting, fighting zombies, and 
humanity going at it nail and tooth with each other. Mm-hmm. I think they can go somewhere really incredible, and I think Neil Druckmann can do that. So I want there to be a new IP. I guess my fear with The Last of Us Part 3 is we're going to have a Godfather 3 type scenario where we don't get God- Godfather 3 for like 20 years. Oh, yeah. Or 30 years. And it just doesn't live up to the first two games in any sort of way because I've heard a lot of people throwing around Last of Us Part 1 and Part 2 are the new Godfather 1 and 2, uh, which I say that I think they are in many ways. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Francis Ford Coppola kind of caught lightning in a bottle with winning Best Picture in 72 and then winning Best Picture in two years later in 74, along with directing and screenplay in the same night. Right. And right. then he took a 30 year break and then part three is like, eh. so, you know, I think if they're going to go with the part three, I think they actually need to be done with Ellie's storyline or anyone really associated with her. I think we're going to probably have to pick up with Abby or Lev or someone else of that kind and their journey i think that'd be pretty fascinating especially because they sunk so much time into making abby a main character yeah in this game i don't think they're going to get rid of her and this is two games we've played as ellie it might be two games we play as abby if they go for part three but like you said alan i i don't know but then again if they don't put it out for another 10 years and i'm 35 who knows if i'm going to play it or if i'm going to have the time to play it i don't know yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who knows if we'll have the time to play it? <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm curious, but whatever Naughty Dog does, I will definitely pick it up. They've cemented themselves as one of the great video game makers and storytellers of our generation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, listeners, thank you so much for going along this journey with us as we reviewed The Last of Us Part 2. We want to know what was your favorite moment in this game and did you like it better than the first one? Tomorrow we are releasing your guide to the next Karate Kid. So you'll definitely want to make sure to listen to that before we drop our full review on Monday of the 1994 fourth installment in the Karate Kid series. Of course, Karate Kids part one through part three, those reviews are up right now, so you won't want to miss out on those. Make sure to listen to those first. Definitely listen to those first because uh, our discussion uh, for the next Karate Kid gets uh, pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, we talked a lot about um, girl power here in this game. It was uh, some tough females in that. Uh, well, you, we talk about a tough female, I guess you could say that, in the next Karate Kid. So. Yeah, that that's a way to tie it in together if you're <laughs> if you're curious to know our thoughts on that game. But nevertheless, Alan, thanks for joining me. Sure thing. All right, listeners, we will see you next Monday with the next Karate Kid. Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. 
All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide.